obviously being held against my will and beaten on by numerous individuals attributed to my claustrophobia, but it wasn't how it began. The birth of my lifelong relationship with being enclosed or being crowded didn't happen by anyone stealing my personal space. It began with an attack, another violation of my body, though this one produced the worst physical wound I have ever suffered. I was the only person in the room at the time. My parents had left me in the care of a couple from our church, nice people and welcoming. I was a shy kid, so I wasn't very talkative that weekend and I was happy to play quietly or color or watch a bit of television. That Saturday morning, I woke up before they did and so I went into the living room to watch cartoons. I sat on the floor, probably playing at the same time. The dog was on the couch. Now, we were not dog people. We only had cats in the house when I was growing up. I didn't dislike dogs, I just wasn't too sure about them because I wasn't very experienced being around dogs. And this was a big dog, a black Labrador, and I tried to decide if I should pet it or just talk to it or let it be. While still running this over in my head, an event that changed my life forever unfolded. If that sounds dramatic, understand that I still carry the scars of that day inside and out. I need to add a point of interest right here. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and back in the day when we watched one of the three channels on television that we received, sometimes the slightest thing would, would knock out the reception, like a storm passing through or some other interruption, like a jet plane flying overhead. I have no proof that's what happened that day, but I have come to believe it was a combination of two occurrences. In the blink of an eye, the reception on the television was scrambled. And at the very same time, a jet airplane passed overhead close enough to create a mild sonic disturbance. It was then amid the confluence of those events that the jaws of this large black Labrador dog closed on my small child's face, nearly engulfing the left side of my face from my eye to my chin. I remember screaming, immediately causing the man of the house to rush into the living room. And as he spied the dog's mouth locked onto my face, he did what most anyone would do. He pulled at the dog's head while shouting commands to let go. In response, the dog acted the way he was bred to. He shook his mouth and by extension, my face in that gesture that is meant to weaken their prey. Time froze for me that morning, but I remember 
the cacophony of my noises, which was screaming, and the owners shouting and the dogs growling, I don't recall the exact moment that we were separated, but when I was free, the man scooped me up, pressing me to his white tank top undershirt, the white quickly turning bright crimson. His poor frantic wife was running for towels and blankets, and we made our way to the car for the 15-minute drive to the emergency room. And she kept repeating, oh my God, oh my God, and I kept crying, possibly screaming periodically. My memories from the emergency room are spotty because I think I was in shock most of the time. They kept telling me to be still and stop crying so the doctor could work. He was my family doctor, but that was small comfort to me because I was always a bit afraid of him or intimidated by him. He was a he was a large man in my eyes. But the woman sat in a chair near to where they were working on me, her head between her knees, repeatedly saying, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to tell your mother? I couldn't say how long that ordeal lasted and I never did see the wounds before they were sutured. But I had never seen that much blood before in my life. One statement that the doctor made stood out to me and, and stayed with me forever. In fact, it became kind of a family joke. He spoke to me gruffly and said, hold still. Do you want to be beautiful when you grow up? Then hold still. Now imagine, if you will, yourself at age six, enduring the worst trauma of your life so far and being told that your future appearance whether you would be considered beautiful or handsome if you were a boy, depended on your ability to hold still while a family doctor sewed the edges of your mangled face together. That night, the doctor called my mother, who was with my father in another city, having just had back surgery. And the doctor said to my mother, you might want to sit down. Your daughter is going to look a little different when you see her again. When I was in high school, I used to joke that I wanted a refund for the doctor's work that day because he promised me I would be beautiful and it hadn't happened yet. I may not have achieved beauty, but that was the day I became claustrophobic. I have struggled with it since, though it has improved but it became a handy piece of information for my husband to amp up the terror that he could create in me. Because of my claustrophobia, I struggled to sit through a dental exam or, or really any procedure too close. The proximity of someone's face or hand very near to my face became a problem. I have never become comfortable with sudden movements toward my face. The classic panic and shortness of breath were part of my life for the longest time. And my ex-husband learned to capitalize on this truth and use it against me whenever he wanted to amuse himself. 
Early in our marriage, we were living in a small trailer house, the hallway of which was reason enough for claustrophobia to arise for me. He used to like to order me to try and make it down the narrow hallway before he could hit me with some object that he would throw at me. I would beg him not to do it, but if I did, his laughter turned to anger and then he would order me to run or it would be worse for me if I didn't. During one particularly wicked fight, I retreated to the bedroom, but of course he followed me, as did my poor daughter, who was probably five years old, trying to be my protector. If she tried to pull him away or intervene, he would growl at me, a phrase that still makes me nauseated and angry. He would say, tell her to get away from you or it'll be worse for you. My poor girl learned so early that even her valiant childish desire to protect me would result in her father's increased anger and viciousness. She has her own host of problems, which may come up later in another episode, and rightly so. But I could almost see the disbelief on her tear-streaked face, this little champion for justice who took food to our needy neighbors and who gave her allowance to another kid standing in line to see Santa so that he could have his picture taken. This defender was made to feel guilty by trying to be kind. You'll have to picture what unfolded next. Me trying to hide as best I could beside the waterbed in our bedroom, at best about six inches from the wall of the bedroom. My ex was standing over me, working to pull me up, and my daughter was grabbing his other arm, trying to pull him away. He had a hold of my arm and was pushing me down while with his other hand he was pulling the waterbed mattress away from the side of the bed frame. And heavy as it was, he managed to lift up a corner while at the same time shoving my head into the space that the mattress had occupied. He then dropped the mattress back down over my head and held me there screaming various obscenities. Now let's just pause here for a moment. Based on what I told you earlier, think back to the image of a petite six-year-old me caught in the strength of a dog's jaw, a dog that outweighed me by a good 60 pounds. That was the moment my claustrophobia was born, the day I learned about panic. Now picture the scene of my chaotic bedroom the weekend when I was a 28-year-old adult, married for seven years, none of them happy. Think about my tearful daughter, surely just as frightened as I had been at her age, powerless to help me, as weak as I was against a big black dog. Can you feel the weight of that waterbed mattress covering my face, shutting out my air supply? Barely having the breath, yet needing to scream to protest my situation, fearing suffocation, I began to kick out, not sure if I was hitting my husband or the bedroom wall, and that I soon heard the results of my action. 
I felt the blood run down my leg. I felt the glass break beneath my feet, some of it landing on the waterbed. My husband screamed obscenities at me, calling me a dumb bitch for kicking out a storm window and sending glass everywhere. He let go long enough for me to pull the mattress off my head and grab a breath. I heard him tell my daughter to get the hell out of the way because there was glass everywhere, as if somehow that was her fault. I cleaned glass from inside the waterbed frame, the window frame, and the floor, using my hands to feel around in that six-inch space between the bed and the wall. He would take advantage of my claustrophobia many other times, like making me lie on my back under his boat trailer, holding some bolt in place while he fixed something, or he would trap me in the walk-in closet of our house where in the back there was a crawl space we used for occasional storage. He liked to pin my arms, holding me in place and grinning his sadistic grin while watching me freak out. I am proud to say that I have overcome much of my claustrophobia as I get older. Living independently has made me face some situations when I had no choice, like checking for cats under a bed or searching in a cramped basement for a circuit breaker. There are certain things you're willing to do in exchange for having a bed all to yourself. Thank you for choosing to listen to my podcast. Weekly episodes are planned. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, and share.